Girlfriends, episode number 229, Four Ways to Be Jesus Right Now. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, we are talking about ways to be Jesus, which is what we are all called to be and do. Let's get started. Hey, girlfriends, how are you? Greetings from the Tiki Hut. You know I love to record outside in the beautiful Tiki Hut that my husband built for me way back on my 40th birthday. So I enjoy this outdoor space during the summer months. Those of you who follow me on Instagram maybe got to see a little peek at the Tiki Hut, but also I was especially showing off the new pool deck that I mentioned last week that my husband Dan built for me. So um, you can check that out. I'm Danielle Bean on Instagram. If you want to check out that video, it's on IGTV. Hey, if you're new here, I want to say welcome. Thank you for checking out the Girlfriends podcast. I hope you're going to like what we share here. I hope you're going to stick around. If you are a longtime listener, if you're a sometimes listener, if you're returning at all, Thanks for giving us another shot. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being an important part of the Girlfriends community. Well, I'm recording outside because it is, as we say here in New England, wicked hot. (laughs) It's still early in the morning, so it's not really wicked hot yet, but you can tell it's going to be wicked hot. Those of you who aren't familiar, (laughs) that is a very New England way of saying very hot. Um, And it doesn't just work with hot. So I was thinking about this. A friend of mine recently asked me when she heard me use the word wicked, which I don't tend to use a whole lot. um, Like, how do you decide when do you say wicked and how to say when you say very instead? And I don't know, there aren't any hard and fast rules about it. But I did realize that you tend to say wicked when it's like a short kind of extreme word, like hot or good, you know, something pretty basic. You wouldn't say like that cake is wicked delicious. At least I don't think so. You'd say it's wicked good. So anyway, if you have uh, some basic rules about use of the word wicked, I'd love to hear them because these are the kinds of language things that I like to think about. I like to talk about. So it's going to be wicked hot today. And um, we're, we're prepared for that because we've got the pool deck sitting in the Tiki Hut recording this episode of the Girlfriends podcast. Always glad to be able to connect with you here on Girlfriends. So at the end of this week's show, I'm going to read you the introduction to the Manual for Marriage written by my husband, Dan, and me, which is newly available at tanbooks.com. I shared with you about this in the past couple of weeks, but the Manual for Marriage is a book about marriage, but also a resource for your marriage, a prayer resource for you inside of your marriage to be praying for your marriage, to be praying as a couple. It's a compilation of prayers and hymns and wisdom from the saints and scripture and teachings of the church on marriage. So fully half of the book is that kind of a resource. And the front half is written by Dan and me. It's a series of reflective essays on the vocation of marriage Really, I think it's a wonderful resource for every Catholic couple, whether you're newly married or you've been married a long time. I really enjoyed putting together this project um, with my husband, Dan. And so I'm going to share with you the introduction so you can get an idea of it at the end of today's show and the second part of today's show. But first, I want to dive into today's topic, which is four ways to be Jesus right now. Like, what are we talking about? Of course, we're all called to be Christ, right? 
We're supposed to be becoming more like Christ and aligning ourselves with God's will, seeking to follow Jesus's example. And, you know, Jesus isn't here on earth anymore. We are the hands and feet and voice that he has to do his work here on earth. So we are all called to be Jesus. But what does that mean? I mean, that's a nice thing to say, but what does it mean? And so I was giving some thought to this this week, and I came up with four ways that I want to share with you. Of course, there are many ways that you can be Jesus, but I want to encourage you to think about these particular four ways this week and look for ways that you can implement them in your real life. I mean, I always love to be inspired by podcasts that I listen to or books that I read with, you know, our lofty ideals of what it means to be a Catholic, what it means to be a Christian, what the church teaches us about the vocation to marriage or to motherhood or the different kinds of ministry we might be involved in. But more than that, I like to know, how do I put that, those lofty ideals into practice right now? That's what I want to know. I want to know how I can get started right now in becoming more the person that God wants me to be. How can I put those ideals into practice? So I want to share with you some ideas for ways that we can all do that right away, starting right this week. You can do all of these things beginning right away. So diving right in to the first one. This is what I want to share with you. One way that you can be Jesus right now is to forgive somebody who doesn't deserve it. Yeah, this is exactly what Jesus does, right? This is what he does. He forgives us who do not deserve his forgiveness. He pours out his mercy on us, undeserving though we are. Sometimes we're not even properly sorry for the wrong things that we've done, and yet Jesus forgives us anyway. He loves us anyway. So we're called to do that same thing. And this is sometimes a really hard thing to do. Forgive someone who doesn't deserve this. You know, uh, I had an example of this in my own life. I won't share with you the details of who and what and where and when, because there are people in my real life who listen to this podcast. But suffice it to say, I was offended, (laughs) deeply hurt by somebody in the last week. And this person did apologize which is great, right? When we hurt people, we should apologize. And people don't always apologize when they've done something wrong or something that hurts you. And yet, in that moment of receiving this apology, I was pretty critical of the apology. It was was not a great apology. (laughs) We've talked about the anatomy of a good apology here um, on Girlfriends in the past. And this did not did not fit the bill. This was not a good apology. It was actually a pretty awful apology as apologies go. And yet, In that moment, I did feel called to not criticize, not lord anything over this person who was making this at least gesture in my direction, but I just felt like it was so insufficient for what had happened. And how many times do we feel that way, though? Inside of our personal relationships, maybe inside of work relationships, maybe in your marriage, maybe with a close friendship or in your family, where we feel like the apology that we get or the way that someone tries to make amends is not sufficient. This person doesn't deserve our forgiveness. They're not even really sorry or they're not sufficiently sorry or they're sorry in the wrong ways, right? We have these standards that we hold other people to that Jesus doesn't hold us to. So to be like Jesus now here on earth, this week in your life right now, I want to encourage you to think of somebody that you can forgive who does not deserve that forgiveness. 
Who doesn't deserve that gift of mercy? Who can you forgive like that? It might be something dramatic. It might be something very large from your childhood, from your family, inside of your marriage that you really need healing from. It might be something from many years ago that you were holding on to, holding on to bitterness about. It might be something very dramatic like that, but it might even be something smaller, like a, a jerk who cuts you off in traffic. Do they deserve your forgiveness? No, probably not. They're not sorry. They probably didn't even notice you there. Maybe they didn't even notice they almost caused an accident, whatever. We all run into things like that. We run into people like that. And technically, no, they don't deserve forgiveness. And yet Jesus calls on us to be him to the people that he places in our lives and to forgive people who don't deserve to be forgiven, who aren't even sorry, maybe. That's some of the hardest things to do. Forgive somebody who doesn't deserve it because they haven't even said they're sorry. We're called to do that. We're called to forgive them. Jesus was calling on God the Father to forgive those who were torturing and killing him, even as they were torturing and killing him. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Even as they were doing it, they weren't sorry. So he gave us that example. And that is one concrete way that we can be Jesus to the people that God places in our lives in a real way. So it might be letting go of something small, but it might be letting go of something big. And what a gift, by the way, what a gift you give to yourself when you practice this kind of forgiveness. Writer Anne Lamott once wrote, unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. This is one of my all-time favorite quotes because I need to remind myself of this. And this is exactly what we do, isn't it? When we hold on to bitterness, when we hold on to unforgiveness, we are poisoning ourselves, thinking it's going to hurt the other person, thinking it's going to make things right. And yet we're hurting ourselves. We're called to let go of that, to forgive other people. You know, one thing that I find it's helpful to reflect on is when you're tempted to hold on to unforgiveness, when you feel like you can't forgive somebody, you can't let go, you can't show mercy. Think about Jesus dying on the cross, how he was forgiving those people, even as they were killing him, even as they were hurting him, even though they weren't sorry. He showed us that beautiful example of forgiveness. And at the end of it all, he said, it is finished. What did that mean? It is finished. That meant he had died to make up for all of our sins. And here's a helpful thing for you to reflect on if you are struggling with unforgiveness in your life, that Jesus died to forgive not only your sins, but the sins of people that commit them against you, the wrongs done against you. Jesus died to make up for those sins. It is finished He has already made it right. And what are we doing when we are holding on to unforgiveness, when we won't let go? We are saying, oh no, Lord, it is not finished. I need to finish it. I need to make it right. There needs to be justice on my terms, in my way, in my time. And yet Jesus has already done it. It is finished, he said. So I really want to encourage you, if you are struggling with holding on to unforgiveness in your life in any way, to reflect on those words. Ask Jesus to show you the ways in which he's already fixed it. He's already made up for it. He knows all about the wrongs that have been done to you. And he's 
already made up for them. He's already paid the price for them. So you don't need to be exacting your revenge. Jesus has already made it come out even through enormous generosity and love. He pours out that kind of mercy on us and he pours out that kind of mercy on the people who offend us. That's a hard thing to come to terms with sometimes, right? It's only for us and our people and people like us, not our enemies, right? Whoever falls into that category for you. You know, the Bible talks about loving our enemies. And, and I think a lot of times I think, well, I don't have enemies, right? I'm not at war and I, I'm, you know, I don't have enemies. I'm not in some competition anywhere. And yet we all have enemies. We all have people that we're tempted to place into that category in our lives. Enemies, other, the other, the person we feel like we are working against, competing against, who's against us, who's hurting us. We're called to forgive our enemies, to love our enemies. So that's one powerful way that Jesus gives us that example of loving us so much that he forgives us when we don't deserve it. He does this all the time. And now for you, maybe this isn't going to be some big dramatic moment where you're doing some big forgiveness of some major wrong that you've you've suffered in the past, but maybe it's going to be just letting go of a higher standard that you're trying to hold somebody to. You know, my example of receiving an inadequate apology, maybe you're going to receive an inadequate apology, or maybe someone's just going to do some work or some service for you that's going to be below your standards. Maybe forgiveness for you is going to be look, going to look like letting go of that standard and accepting something that's below your standards. This is something Jesus does all the time, right? None of us are up to his standards. We aren't perfect. We're so far from perfect. And yet he embraces us anyway. He loves us anyway. He accepts us anyway. So Jesus accepts us when we are so far below his standards. So what can you accept? What's ongoing in your life that maybe is a struggle for you that's below your standards because it's below your standards? What can you let go of? What can you show mercy for? Who can you show that mercy to? So forgive someone who doesn't deserve it. That's one way that you can be Jesus in a real way right now, starting today, this week. All right, the next way that I want to talk about that you can be Jesus this week right now is to notice someone. So if you read the gospel stories, you'll see Jesus notices people, even people who aren't looking for him. The crippled girl that he cured on Sabbath, right? There's that story where the Pharisees are looking to trip him up and they're wondering if he's going to heal this person in the temple on the Sabbath. And he does. It, the gospel doesn't tell us this girl was looking for him, was asking him to heal her. And yet he did. He sought her out. The woman at the well, Jesus notices her. She's a nobody by current standards. She was a Samaritan. She was a woman. She was a sinner. There's so many reasons why Jesus should not have spoken to her. And yet he sought her out. Where she was, he was waiting for her at the well. He noticed her. He saw her. And inside of the Old Testament, one of the stories that I share in You Are Enough, which is my book that looks at stories of women in the Old Testament and how they can apply to our lives today. One of the stories that I most love to reflect on in there is the story of Bathsheba, 
with King David and how many times I read that story and didn't even notice Bathsheba. She was a prop inside of this story, right? A seductress. And yet scripture doesn't tell us she was a seductress. She was taken advantage of by David. And scripture does tell us that God noticed her. She was used by a powerful man and then tossed aside. And then when she had the audacity to turn up pregnant, then she was a problem. And he has her husband killed and marries her to cover up his sin. And, you know, nobody would really notice, except God noticed. God saw her. God saw Bathsheba. And that's why he sent the prophet Nathan to go and call out King David for his sin. And the story that King David tells is of a poor man that had one little ewe lamb that was precious to him. And a rich man took it and killed it for his dinner with friends when he had many lambs and his own animals that he could have slaughtered instead. And this outrages King David. But then the prophet Nathan says, you are that man. And inside of that story, we're invited to recognize that that is God seeing Bathsheba because she was that little ewe lamb, that precious ewe lamb. And God saw her in that way. He noticed her. Jesus notices us. He notices the people that are in his path. Remember the story we shared uh, a few weeks back, the widow of, of Nain, the woman who is walking in a funeral procession for her one son. She's a widow. She's lost her husband. Now she has lost her son, which, you know, for financial and social reasons, leave her destitute at that time. But not only that, she's just mourning. She's grieving. And, and scripture tells us that Jesus saw her and took pity on her and went to her and said, do not weep. She wasn't looking for Jesus. He noticed her. He noticed her need. God sees us in our need. And he seeks us out where we are. Like Jesus going to the woman at the well. Jesus comes to each of us inside of our everyday lives. He notices us. So to be more Christ-like, I want to encourage you sometime this week, today maybe, notice somebody. Notice somebody's need. Pay attention to the people that God places in your life because the people that God places in your life are living, breathing manifestations of God's will for you. He speaks to us through the people that he puts in our lives, through the people that he calls on us to serve, to give of ourselves to. It might be your own husband. It might be your own kids. It might be in your workplace. It might be your roommates, your siblings. But God is calling you to grow closer to him by noticing the people in your life, noticing the people that you share your life with, that he's calling on you to serve, to love, to notice their needs and to give to them. This is one of the beautiful gifts that we have as women. A beautiful feminine gift is to notice the other. We notice the details. Sometimes this really trips us up, right? Because that's how we fall into this trap of becoming jealous or competitive or comparing ourselves with other people all the time or feeling insecure. We notice the details. We notice the good, the bad, and the ugly. We notice other people's successes and we compare them to our own failures. We notice the details of what somebody's wearing or how their kids talk or what their marriage seems to be like, right? These are all things that we notice. We notice the details. And yet inside of that noticing is a great calling 
to be a gift to other people because you can notice their details. You can notice their needs, just like Our Lady at the wedding at Cana who noticed the couple's need and wanted to meet it. It's a beautiful feminine capacity we have for being present to the other, for noticing other people. Jesus exemplifies this for us in the Gospels. Time and again, we see him noticing people, people who aren't necessarily looking for him, aren't looking for his help. He calls Zacchaeus down from the tree. He calls Matthew, the tax collector, to come and follow him. He calls Simon Peter that we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about becoming fishers of men and casting out our nets. These people weren't looking for him, but Jesus noticed them. He valued them. He called on them. Notice the people that God places in your life. Give them the gift of seeing them. Because that's how we feel truly known and loved is when we're seen, when we're noticed. When someone notices our details, when someone cares about us and what our needs might be. That's how we're called to be Jesus to the people that God places in our lives is to notice other people. All right, the third way that you can be Jesus this week, right now, starting right now, is you can go away to pray. How many times in the gospel passages do we hear about Jesus ministering and preaching to the crowds, great throngs of people, and they're pressing in on all sides, and he has to leave town when it gets out of control sometimes. And yet, even in in the midst of all of that, Time and again, scripture passages tell us that Jesus went away to pray on his own. And Jesus himself tells us, when you pray, go to your room and close the door. He gives us that beautiful example of going away to pray. And so what does that mean for us? It doesn't mean you necessarily have to go on a retreat, but that's a great idea. If you have the opportunity to do that this summer, do that. But it could just mean making sure you have time in your everyday for praying, for quiet time for prayer. This is the ongoing theme here at Girlfriends, right? You need to have time set aside, intentional, purposeful time set aside each day for prayer. Stop making excuses. This is how you can be Jesus right now is making that time for prayer because all the other ways we're called to be Jesus are dependent upon God's grace. And how do we avail ourselves of God's grace? By spending that time in prayer, by connecting with God. That's how we can become more like Jesus, by reflecting on his life, by spending time in prayer, talking to him, sharing with him what we're struggling with, opening ourselves up to what he might be telling us, what he might be calling us to opening ourselves up to receive God's grace. You need to be making intentional time each day to spend in quiet prayer. Jesus gives us that example. Jesus is God. And yet he gives us that example of going away to quietly pray, especially before something important, like the night before his passion and death, he spent that whole night in prayer. So especially during times of great importance, we're called to that kind of prayer. But even in the everyday, as an everyday part of our routine, we're called to make prayer part of our everyday. And I get it. I know. I know you're busy. I know you have a thousand things going on. I know you've got little kids. I know you've got work. I know you have many obligations. I know it's hard to find the time 
But I want to tell you, you are made for a relationship with God. And so you need to be making that time. It's not just, you know, another to do on your list, right? This is something for you. The same way you make time for showering and for, you know, eating dinner, because it wouldn't be okay if you were skipping those things, right? It's not okay if you're skipping this. This is a basic need that you have as a human being to connect with God every day. So look for a way that you can do that. And we have multiple past episodes talking about daily prayer and different ways to make that happen. Um, So maybe I'll link some up in the show notes if you're interested in some of those resources. Because if you're really struggling, I understand, I feel you. I understand that it is hard sometimes to figure out where in your daily routine you can fit that kind of prayer. But I want to encourage you to start where you are. And I will share some of those previous episodes about daily prayer and and different struggles that we have with prayer um, in the show notes. You can go to ascensionpress.com for the show notes for this episode and all the episodes of Girlfriends, always available at ascensionpress.com. So check out those. But this is one of the ways that you can be Jesus right now. One of the ways that's fundamental to you being Jesus in any way, this has to come first. Having a relationship with God in the first place, connecting with your creator. You're meant for it. You're made for it. You're built for it. You're born for it. This is what you need to be doing in order to become more like Jesus. So making time to go away to pray, even if you're just, if you just have five minutes in your day, start there, start with what you have. All right. The last way that you can be Jesus right now is to drink the cup you're given. What does that mean? So Jesus, the night before his passion and his death on the cross. He spent that night in prayer. And what does scripture tell us that he prayed? He prayed, please take this away from me. Take this cup away from me, but not my will, but your will be done. This is an ongoing theme here at Girlfriends where we talk about how hard it is to pray that and to mean that. Take this cup from me. How many times have you prayed that? Have you thought that? Have you felt that? God is calling you to something and you do not want it, do not choose it, would never choose it. And yet God is offering it to you anyway. God's calling you to something very hard. Drink the cup you are given because Jesus, even though he prayed those words, he was fully human and he experienced the human emotions of dread, of loneliness, of sorrow, of despair. Inside of those moments of prayer the night before his death, He experienced that, and yet still he accepted what God was asking him to do, what God the Father had sent him to earth to do. So drink the cup you're given. Easier said than done, I know. And sometimes we have to do this in dramatic ways. You might be presented with a financial crisis. You might be presented with a health crisis, a loss, a disappointment, discouragement, failure, all the things We never would choose. And yet sometimes they happen to us anyway. Drink the cup you are given. Now, that doesn't mean to go through your life passively accepting every bad thing that comes your way. But inside of those moments where you don't get to choose, then recognize that as something that God wills for you. Perhaps he's not willing something, you know, negative for you in an active way, but Through his permissive will, he's allowing this to happen to you and he will bring about good things for you from it. That's the one promise that we know that God promises 
to work all things together for our good, even the bad things, especially the bad things, especially when we willingly accept them as God's will for us, especially those difficult things. So what cup have you been given that you do not want to drink? It might be something small. It might be a chore that you're dreading. Drink the cup you've been given. Is that on your list for today? Do it. Be Jesus in that way. Give it to God as a gift. Surrender your will to his. It might be in a dramatic way. Maybe you've been given a marriage that isn't going the way that you anticipated it, isn't going the way that you wanted it to, isn't turning out the way that you wanted. Maybe some other relationship in your life is failing or is disappointing or discouraging you. Maybe in your work, you're experiencing failure and discouragement and frustration. What cup are you being given right now? And you know what? When we are given a bitter cup, when we are given a cup we do not want to drink, the temptation always is to look around and see, oh, look at the cups other people are given. I want that cup. That's the one that I want. Why am I given this one? But God calls on us to drink the cup that we're given. When Jesus asks God the Father to take away this cup, it's okay. He's telling us by that example, by that prayer, he's telling us it's okay to have those negative feelings, to not want it. But then the second part of our prayer needs to be, not my will, but your will be done. And the really beautiful thing is Jesus also gives us the example of trusting in God's providence inside of those difficult things that we're called to sometimes. Trusting in the goodness of God. He prays those words when when the disciples ask him, teach us to pray. He prays those words, give us this day our daily bread. How hard it is sometimes to just focus on our daily bread. That's all God promises us. But he does promise us that. Grace sufficient for the day, not a lifetime. Eventually, one day at a time, he gives us grace sufficient for our lifetime, but he gives it to us one day at a time. Trusting in God's goodness, trusting in God's providence, one day, one step at a time, one prayer at a time, one yes, Lord, at a time that is so hard to say sometimes. What cup is he asking you to drink? So drink the cup that you're given. What cup have you been given in your life that you are struggling with? that you want to send back, that you want to reject, and yet you know God's calling you to embrace his will inside of that, inside of that suffering, inside of that loss, inside of that disappointment or failure. Drink the cup that you are given. Jesus gives us that beautiful example, and that's how we can be Jesus. Even during our time on earth, we are meant to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and this is how we can do it. So those are the four ways that I wanted to share with you that you can be Jesus starting right now, today, this week. I want you to think about each of those and a way in which God might be calling you to be Jesus in one or all of these ways in the coming days. So the first way, forgive someone who doesn't deserve it. Notice somebody. Go away to pray. And then finally, drink the cup that you're given. I want to close out here by sharing a a prayer with you that is along the lines of being Jesus and the ways in which we're called to be Jesus. 
And now this prayer comes from a book that I've been reading. I've been reading it every day so far this summer, um, making my way through it slowly but surely. It's called The Better Part, The Gospel of Luke, a Christ-centered resource for personal prayer. And it's by Father John Bartunek, who I used to know I personally when I worked at Circle Media many years ago, working on Faith and Family Magazine. He's a wonderful priest, and I've always really enjoyed his writing. And this series of books that he has is really a a great resource that you can use in your daily prayer life. Like I said, I've been using it every single day and it kind of, it just walks you through the gospels one little section at a time and kind of prompts you toward meditative prayer on each of the gospel passages. But the prayer that I want to share with you comes from this book, but it's, it's not part of the the gospel reflections. It's actually just um, one of a list of prayers that's included in this book. So it doesn't have a citation. So I have to assume that Father John Bartunek wrote this prayer. And it's a a beautiful prayer of dedication that's very short. So I'm going to invite you to just in the closing section of this part of the podcast, just take a moment and just let's, let's pray this together. It's called Prayer of Dedication. Lord Jesus, I give you my hands to do your work. I give you my feet to follow your way. I give you my eyes to see as you do. I give you my tongue to speak your words. I give you my mind so you can think in me. I give you my spirit so you can pray in me. Above all, I give you my heart. So in me, you can love your father and all people. I give you my whole self so you can grow in me. Till it is you, Lord Jesus, who lives and works and prays in me. Amen. I want to invite you to make that your prayer for the coming days, for the coming week, and to be looking for ways that God is calling you to be Jesus in your world right now. Coming up, I'm going to be sharing the introduction to the Manual for Marriage that I wrote together with my husband, Dan. I'm looking forward to sharing just a little bit of that book with you. But first, we're going to have a quick break. I'm Danielle Bean, and you're listening to The Girlfriends Podcast. I'm Jeff Cavins. I wrote The Activated Disciple because I know how easy it is to practice the faith and to study it, but what if we lived our entire lives without doing what we learned? God doesn't just call us to be students. He calls us to be disciples, to look and live like Jesus. If you yearn for a life that moves beyond just studying and believing, if you yearn to become an activated disciple, then this book is for you. The Activated Disciple teaches you how to take your faith to the next level so you can become an instrument for God to transform the world. To order The Activated Disciple, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. Welcome back. Now, I know some of you are going to be asking me for that prayer and for a link to that book that I shared with you by Father John Bartunek. The book is called The Better Part, 
Gospel of Luke. He has one for every one of the Gospels, a Christ-centered resource for personal prayer. I will put a link to that in the show notes at ascensionpress.com. The show notes are always available there at ascensionpress.com. And if you can't remember to go there, or if you're busy doing other things and you always forget to look up these resources later, an easy way for you to make sure you always get the resources that I share here on Girlfriends sent directly to you in your inbox is to text the word girlfriends to 33777. That's the word girlfriends to 33777. And you will be subscribed to receive the show notes for every episode of the Girlfriends podcast right in your inbox. Added bonus, you won't miss a single episode and we will continue to be connected. So I'd love it if you would do that. That's only for people who live in the US that that subscription service can work in that way. But if you're outside the US, I know we've got some friends in Canada and Australia, especially. If that's you and you want to subscribe to the show notes for Girlfriends, you can still do it. Just send me an email, danielle at daniellebean.com, and I will make sure you get added to the list. All right. I want to share with you the introduction to the Manual for Marriage that Dan and I recently wrote for Tan Books. This is such a fun project to write together with Dan. I've written books before. He's never written a book. So it was kind of an interesting experiment to be trying to write a book together. And um, I was really pleased with the way that it turned out. And so I ended up being so grateful for my marriage, for the man that God gave me to marry. I'm so grateful to Dan for doing this project together with me. And I'm really praying that this book can be a resource that will bless you in your marriage. So I wanted to give you a taste of what the book is like. It's not a stuffy hoity-toity book, okay? It's personal essays written by Dan and me. Dan shares some really funny stories. He's got a funny, a really great sense of humor. And um, so the, the book is lighthearted in some ways, but also takes on some serious topics and some of the things that we really struggle with and also offers some, some practical support for some of the ways that we all struggle and some of the challenges that we all face inside of the vocation to marriage. So here is the introduction. Introduction to Manual for Marriage by Dan and Danielle Bean. A manual for marriage? Well, we certainly can't write this book. We've been married for 25 years. After we recently agreed to write this book, though, we put off planning the outline because the timing didn't feel right. We were still not quite getting along after that thing that happened the other day. You know, that thing where one of us used a tone the other one didn't like, or one of us said a dumb thing that upset the other person. Or one of us forgot to say thank you or asked a question in an annoying way. We can't remember exactly what it was all about, but it felt like important stuff at the time. But maybe that kind of messiness is exactly why we can write this book. And should. There are enough books out there to tell you what a glorious, beautiful thing Christian marriage is. And it is. There are plenty of books that will describe an ideal Christian marriage to you. But perhaps not enough that acknowledge the kind of tough, heroic work that happens in the everyday living out of a vocation to love another person, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do you part. The intimate daily living between two human beings is indeed a glorious thing, but it's a perilous thing too. It's important to acknowledge that. Whether you are preparing to be married, are newly married, or have been married for 10, 25, 50 years or more, it's important to recognize that our goal is heaven and our spouse is God's plan for getting us there. Because we are human beings struggling our way through God's divine plan, though, there are going to be some missteps along the way. In fact, the flaws and the missteps are exactly why God gave us the gift of marriage, the indissoluble gift of together forever in the first place. In our research for writing this book, 
The writings of Father Bede Jarrett, OP, especially inspired and encouraged us. In Bede Jarrett Anthology, Father Jarrett writes about the vocation of marriage in a delightfully honest and insightful way that still has deep meaning for us as married Christians today. In the coming pages, we will share some of Father Jarrett's principles, reflect on the ways we strive to follow them in our own marriage, and encourage you to consider how these apply to your call to the vocation of marriage. Where might God be inviting you to stretch and grow as a man, as a woman, and as a couple? What might be God's plan to use you, your spouse, and your marriage for his greater glory? How is he calling you home to heaven through the beautiful, imperfect person he gave you to love and cherish till death do you part? We will look at the ideas of vocation, sacrament, sacrificial love, complementarity, unbreakable bonds, and home and family life. In each of these sections, we will share individually from a wife's perspective and from a husband's perspective. And together, we will share practical points you can put into practice starting right now because it's important to start right now. You might be just beginning to consider the call to marriage. You might be quite content in your marriage right now, enjoying some of the ups of the ups and downs of normal married life. Or you might be suffering some of the downs, struggling through hard times, or reeling from the wounds of a broken or breaking relationship. Wherever this book finds you, it's important to recognize that the call to marriage is ongoing. Marriage is a call we must hear and respond to again and again, over and over, getting it right and then messing it up and then getting it right again. Marriage can be a mess and it can be beautifully perfect. It's simple and it's complex. It's easy and it's hard. It's all of these things for all of us generally, but it's all of these things uniquely in your own marriage too. St. Francis de Sales reminds us, you learn to speak by speaking, to study by studying, to run by running, to work by working. And just so, you learn to love by loving. All those who think to learn in any other way deceive themselves. Let's talk about some of the things all marriages have in common so we can apply them in our own unique married relationships. Together, let's learn what it means to love. So that's the introduction to the Manual for Marriage written by my awesome husband, Dan, and me. I will have the link in the show notes at ascensionpress.com so you can check out that book at tanbooks.com. I want to thank you for being a part of today's show. If you listen to today's episode of the Girlfriends Podcast, you have been prayed for. I pray for the listeners every time before I record and throughout the week as I'm planning what I'm going to be talking about, which topics I'm going to be taking up here on Girlfriends. I'm always praying for our community of girlfriends here on the podcast. And I know you all are praying too. And I love the ways that we're able to connect. You can always email me, danielle at daniellebean.com or join our prayerful community of girlfriends on Facebook. We have a private Facebook group that is only and exclusively for listeners of the Girlfriends podcast. All you need to do to get into this group is to listen to Girlfriends. So if you're listening right now, you qualify. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash Girlfriends podcast. If you can't remember that big URL, go to ascensionpress.com and the link is always there in the show notes. And uh, you just need to put in a request to join and I'll be glad to add you. We'd love to have you join our prayerful community of women there in the Girlfriends podcast group on Facebook. 
But in the meantime, I want to thank you for your presence here today. The fact that you show up, that you connect with me here through the podcast is so meaningful and important to me. Truly an encouragement in all that I do here at Girlfriend. So thank you for that. Thank you for being here. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 